the Astor Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astor Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Nick Porter. Nick, hello. Hi, John. We're recording on Thursday, the 21st of July, sort of halfway through the month. And ahead of next week's Fed meeting, we want to talk a little bit about our expectations of the Fed and the CPI situation as it exists now. So, Nick, you up to talking about the last CPI report? Yeah, so CPI for June came in hotter than expected. The median expectation was somewhere around 8.8%. That's headline year over year. That number alone would be pretty staggering, but in fact, headline CPI printed at 9.1%. Higher than expectations and really showing that there is no sign of price pressures softening. And a couple of takeaways from that report, from my perspective, first and foremost, is that increases are sort of broadening across all categories. So, of course, energy was a big story. Prices at the pump were up 11%, and that certainly has fed through it to headline inflation. But there are other factors, things like housing, which we've been talking about for a while, is now starting to show up, and services have really picked up as well within CPI. So overall, I think it's a fairly grim report. Of course, since that report has been released, energy prices, commodity prices broadly have weakened. And so there might be some some relief there. But, you know, I think the growing concern from my end is that some of the more durable and sticky components of CPI are are really starting to show up now. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Like, I am not as concerned right now about sticky CPI just because like real earnings are actually dropping. Right. So real earnings are sort of where they were at the beginning of the pandemic. After spiking up, they've been grinding down consistently for the last 18 months, in part because of the inflation is not, in fact, feeding through to wages. You do bring up an interesting point about sort of the shift from goods to services. So if you look at the core CPI in goods, in calendar 2021, it was 12%, and services was 4%. And in calendar 2022, to date, goods is 4%, and services is 8%. So, yeah, so some sort of, I guess, not rebalancing the economy. Like We still may consume more goods than we would have thought, but I guess rebalancing in inflation anyway. Yeah, I think it's interesting that things like food prices have proven to be somewhat more persistent. Of course, there's the, the war in Ukraine and other commodity shortages that we can we can talk about with that. You know, I think that's a little bit concerning as well. And of course, economics have this cute dalliance with quote unquote reopening categories, things like airline and leisure and stuff like that. And even though airfares were down 1.8% in June, we've still seen things like vehicle shortages and, and other categories that have they don't really seem to slow. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of the issue is we sort of segue to, so what, right? Like, what are we going to do? Like, one thing is that when you put the inflation in the same terms of the U.S. and the Eurozone, like, the inflations are quite close. Like, the U.S. is a little bit higher inflation than the Eurozone, but only slightly. It's not a particularly large gap right now. And one thing that says to me is it's not like the Fed's fault. It's not necessarily something the Fed can control and they didn't cause it and they can't cure it necessarily, right? Like they're still going well, to- I think they can cure it and they can cure it by bringing demand to meet supply, right? They, they can cure it by causing a recession. Yeah, they can cure yes. it. But, you know, you do have these sort of concerning comments. So like Fed Governor Waller said a couple of weeks ago, like what we're trying to do is get commodity prices to stop going up 
They level off, the inflation effects go away. We don't actually need to fall back down, right? Like they, they can't do that, right? They can't get commodity prices to fall back off, right? So like you shouldn't, they shouldn't be talking about that. Yeah, so I mean, you, I think for a long time, the Fed was willing to look through inflation pressures saying that they were supply driven, not really much a story about demand, but constraint supply. And that actually hasn't changed. I think that's still the case, but they're more and more willing to act to constrain demand simply because inflation expectations have risen slightly and they're worried about credibility. Yeah, well, inflation expectations have started to fall back down too, right? So what does that mean that everything... So to recap the last 10 days in market land, like CPI comes out and then people are talking about not only 75 basis points in July, but let's go 100. And that's kind of a lot. <laughs> it's kind of a lot. Yeah, I mean, though you could make an argument that the Fed... Yeah, you know, once they decided they had to get back to neutral, which I think was probably in December of last year, they decided that like they should have gone more quickly. I guess you could have made that argument. But you know, inflation expectations have come down a lot for next year. It's true. And other market-based measures, things like the 10-year yield are now it's now below three percent. I think that's probably less a story about the path of inflation and inflation risk premia and more about the potential for a recession and people believing that the Fed is willing to go as far as needed to get inflation back down to target. Yeah, I think those are both sort of reflections of the same phenomenon, which is that the Fed is willing to risk a recession to get inflation. And again, like what you said after the last meeting, like the Fed sees unemployment being higher than it is today a year from now, right? So that means like people going out of work, presumably. The overall dilemma, though, is still whether Vladimir Putin turns back on Nord Stream 2, like has more to do with inflation than 50 more basis points or, or whatever. Yeah. And so we can also think about like what Mary Daly said to last week she says i'm not i'm not concerned about overcooking things because remember we put extraordinary emergency accommodation into the economy so i guess that is saying that she thinks that getting back to neutral is, is a good first step right so she's saying she's emphasizing the emergency accommodation put in the economy not still not taken all the way out so that's sort of where her mind is it sounds like yeah and it's just looking at the Fed funds futures, what they imply for the path of Fed policy for the rest of 2022. It's about 75 bips in July on the 27th, which is right around the corner. And in some for 2022, market sees about 2% of rate hikes. And then shortly thereafter, and an additional, uh, an additional 2%. Uh, no, total sum. Additional 2% from here, though. Right? We've already gone up a lot, is what I'm saying. Right? Not ending. Right. So ending. The market sees the ending the year at Fed's ending, Fed funds ending the year at 350. Exactly, yeah. And then shortly after, in the beginning of 2023, the market sees the Fed needing to cut, most likely meaning that we're in a recession or we've seen some sort of labor market softening. And that's actually kind of hard to square with consensus forecasts for inflation. So for Q3 2022, economic forecasters see CPI year over year at 83 and in Q1 of 2023, they see it at 5.5%, which is still quite high and, and still well above the Fed's target range. And I think that suggests that at some point, the Fed is going to be faced with a hard choice if they continue on this course of hiking maybe in a recession or doing nothing, probably more likely in a recession, because inflation is still quite high. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's possible, right? So what happens if inflation does stay high, but because of things that are outside the Fed's control, but 
the economy's recession, is the Fed going to cut rates? I'd say probably no, right? Like now, you mentioned like one thing that you, people are talking about now is the decline in retail and wholesale gasoline prices, for example, and so that's going to start to feed through with the July number. And I think the Fed has two inflation numbers before their next meeting, right? So they've got, I think they get the release for July, which will happen in August, and they'll get the release for August, which will happen in September before they meet again in September. But now, right now, so the average retail price gasoline is $4.44. That was about $5 in the middle of June, but it was $3.50 12 months ago up a lot, but down. And we're going to start to see that bringing the headline inflation down, assuming that it continues to, to decline. Yeah. And just so people listening can get a sense of what energy means for headline inflation, energy was about seven percentage points to more than half of the 1.3% month for month CPI number for June. So that's pretty, pretty substantial if you're concerned about headline inflation. Of course, we haven't talked all that much about core, which you know I would argue really doesn't show any signs of softening. Uh, yeah, I think that that is true. And you do have some rent hikes baked in the cake already. I think the rent, the owner's equivalent rent lags sort of reality a little bit more than, than other things. But yeah, I think there is decent core inflation. The other thing is that we've been seeing there's recently is that like, I'm not on board for the full Warren program, but like companies definitely are exploiting their pricing power. Right. And so they do have people like corporate profits are going up, people are raising prices in inflation because everyone sort of I think in part because part of the inflation is the median consumer is still flush. They have more cash than they need. They're willing to spend more on things, right? So like people are able to raise prices and that's going to keep core inflation relatively high, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a sense, whether true or not, that corporations are certainly taking liberties with pricing. But as you alluded to earlier, eventually that's going to have to end because in real terms, people are making less money, not more money. People are making less money in real terms. So wages are back to where they were at the beginning of the pandemic. Real wages back to where they were at the beginning of the pandemic. People still have this large cushion of extra wealth that they are spending down. And at some point, that merry ground kind of comes to an end, and hopefully it's not an abrupt one. So do you have a prediction for the Fed next week? Barring another mysterious and well-timed Wall Street Journal article, I will say 75 bips is the likely outcome. I guess I agree with that. I mean, 75 sounds right. I would say 75 or 50. I don't think 100 is really. Mm. We should really start putting distributions around our point forecast just so that the following <laughs> week we can say, well, there was a 20% chance of... And then when we do it for 100 years, then maybe we can actually get an analysis of our, how good we are. That's right. One thing that might come into play, it's a little technical, but the Fed holds a lot of mortgage-backed securities. Typically, people prepay a certain amount of their mortgages, and so those kind of, in effect, get redeemed. And with the mortgage rates going up, that won't happen. And the Fed wants to keep its rate of decline of its balance sheet constant. It might have to actually start selling stuff, right? So in general, it just let stuff, it doesn't reinvest things, ends up just sending the money. They get their check for their mortgage back. They send that money to the treasury, 
but now they might actually have to start selling things in the market, which could be, could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of things rising, do you have any initial thoughts on jobless claims, which are kind of famously noisy, but are reaching an eight month high? Yeah, so the way we look at stuff, of course, jobless claims are still a positive for the economy, by which I mean that they're lower than they have been recently, but they are also a lot less, they're somewhat less positive than they were a few weeks ago. So I would say that our read on the on the jobless claims is our official read is nuanced, but you know, it seems, I mean, that, look, that line looks like it's going up going up to May, right? More people making claims for unemployment insurance. Yeah, I just think it's interesting the context of people talking about the divergence between output, negative real growth, and what has been to date a very robust labor market expansion. Yeah, and you do see anecdotal reports of tech companies, for example, are freezing hiring Facebook and Microsoft, right? Not, not, not only the, the crypto guys, That's uh, right. frozen hiring, and if Google's not hiring, then that's a sign of something, right? Like they've got all the money. So yeah, no signs. Uh, we're not quite, we're not hitting the panic button yet. Like at Aster, we've been a little bit more pessimistic on the economy all year. I guess I was hoping that we would start to see things turn around soonish. We haven't seen that yet. And payroll and jobless claims is one of the things that's going in the wrong direction right now. Overall, my nutshell of the economy is that the labor market is still extremely strong. The economy still seems good. Some of the softer data, forward-looking data, looks a little dicey. And we will see how well the economy can withstand another 200, 300 basis points in, in rate hikes. Anything you disagree with in that summary, Nick? Nope, that sounds right. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. If you want more of our economic analysis, you can see our blog on the Astro website, astroim.com, or you can download our Astro Research app, or you can reach out to your Astro sales representative. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, John. To learn more about Astro Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.astroim.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Astor Investment Management LLC is a SEC registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change, they are not intended as investment recommendations.